you that your love reaches into the deepest parts of our hearts. Father, I thank you that there's nothing that your love can't accomplish on the inside of us. Thank you that we are transformed by your love, that we're filled with your love, that we're compelled by your love. Father, I thank you that your love isn't just amazing, but it has supernatural power within it to bring healing, to bring transformation. Father God, we are so grateful. There is no one like you. Lord, we love you. Thank you, Lord God. Let's just pray for a moment. If you just shut your eyes. Thank you, Lord God. Father, I bow my knee before you. My everything. Lord God, I submit myself to you. I empty myself of me and I ask that you would fill me up to overflowing with your love. That as you are in this world, so I would be. Father, have your way in this place, I pray. Speak to every single one of us, I pray. And I would love again to lead you in prayer if you just put your hand on your heart. And let's pray strongly together. Holy Spirit of truth, shine your light into my heart. Show me the obstacles that you want to clear away. Do something new in me today. May I be so full of your love that I bring your love with me wherever I go. Have your way, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And amen. Praise God. Praise God. Please do take your seats. I'm going to grab this and bring it down. Thank you. I remember one time, you know, wherever I'm ministering, my first question when I, when there's a platform is how can I get down? <laughs> and, um, I've had so many different experiences where I felt stuck on a platform. And I remember one time, and I was wearing these heels that I shouldn't have been wearing. Someone gave them to me as a gift. And and I remember I was up on a very high platform. And all I could think is, I want to get down. And I'm preaching and ministering. And you know what you're like as preachers. You can be having one thought on the inside, and you're managing to just go anywhere. And all I'm thinking is, I need to get down. But I felt trapped up there because I thought if I try these stairs in these heels, I, I might topple down. Then, of course, the moment there was an altar call and I saw people and their hearts and God doing work. I mean, I ran down those stairs and thought, well, I could have done it all the time. But then there was another time and I was in Norway and it was one of these huge convention centers, thousands of people there. And literally, I was trapped up there. I, I was like, a, you know, an animal in a zoo. Because you couldn't, you know, it was, it was separate. And the only way down was literally to go backstage all the way around. And I was like, God, you're going to have to teach me how to see faces in my imagination when they're not there. So I like being here. But I just want to thank you so much just for your love, 
for your warmth, for your welcome. From the moment I got in the car yesterday, Carol, just your warmth and your love and your welcome. Pastor Don, you know, I, I'm just so grateful. Randy and Carol, um, you know, and all of you, I thank you for the debate today. I was, I, if I knew how to take notes, I hope you've written a book. I don't think you have. Have you? Praise God. I would like a copy of that. Praise God. But it's just been such a joy being with you um, over these two days. And, um, you know, I, I, I just find it extraordinary that you can meet people that you've never known before. And immediately, because we have the same daddy, we just know we're family. And it's such a joy. And you have a bunch of brothers and sisters in London that you've never met yet, that you've never yet met. Maybe you will one day. Maybe, um, maybe Steve will come and Pastor Steve and be able to meet the, the, your, your brothers and sisters in London. But it's just such a joy to be with you. You know, um, I started last night with the scripture I own, which I make no apology. And, you know, I, I talked about the fact that our hearts determine the course of our lives. You know, we looked at the life of Saul last night. And the thing that is so heartbreaking about Saul, and yet also so encouraging, is, you know, how many times we have a promise and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're saying, when, Lord, when, Lord, and we're waiting, you know? And, and you see, with Saul, he was given a prophetic word. You're going to be king. And if you look at scripture, I, I, it's not very clear, but it looks like within one week, it looks like it's a few days. But within certainly a week, he goes from prophecy from the man of God to fulfillment. And it's like, wow, wouldn't I love that? But of course, his heart was not ready for his destiny. And then you see David, who first was given a prophetic word, you know, as a teenager. And he gets picked out in the, you know, from among his brothers, the most unlikely of the crowd. He gets given this word. And then he has to wait. I mean, things go well at first because he kills the giant. He gets celebrated. He gets promoted. He becomes, you know, the king's harpist. His best friends now, the Prince Jonathan, all looks like it's on track. And then it all goes horribly wrong. And for 10 years, he's essentially homeless. He's living in caves, in, in, in forests, and for 10 long years. So probably somewhere around 16 years he waited. But you see, by the time of his promotion, God had started doing a work on the inside of him. And you see, by the time God raised that man up, there's so much that he had learnt in the secret place. You know, David is one of the greatest examples of a strong leader who knew how to get into the presence of God and pour out his heart like water. We think a strong leader means tough. You know, in Psalm 6, the Bible says that David wet his mattress, soaked it with his tears from weeping all night. I mean, I'm not going there this evening, but you know, 
I remember, you know, I used to read the Psalms and I used to just skip over all the negative stuff. Anyone else? Until God started to show me, this isn't just a bunch of songs. This is a prayer journal. This is somebody who knew how to articulate the struggles and the suffering and the pain. And as a result, despite his serious imperfections, someone God could use. You know, I mentioned a lie last night where, you know, our hearts lie to us. And one of, the, one of the lies that our hearts tell is that we're fine when we're not. But then another lie, you know, in the book of Jeremiah, it talks on two separate occasions when the prophet speaks about being partially healed. You know, one of the things I've learned is that our hearts, you know, the Bible says that the inner heart, inner thought and heart of man are deep. Your heart is so deep, so complex, It's designed individually by God. That's what the Bible says. It's really deep and complex. And another thing that the enemy wants us to believe is that, you know, oh, well, that's been dealt with. I'm sorted. I'm fine. You know, but very often there are layers of things on the inside. I remember the journey of healing after my daughter died was a journey. And it was a mixture of extraordinary supernatural encounters with the healing power of God And there would be one after another after another. But then I reached the place, and this is how we know we're healed. And this is really important to hear. People go, well, it's really easy. You know, how do you know if you've had a massive gash on your leg and the whole thing was uprooted and it was a real pain? How do you know you're healed? You can go, and it don't hurt. You know how you know you're healed? There is not any memory on the inside of me, of my little girl that can feel sadness. All that I have on the inside about my little girl is joy. There is no memory, there's no aspect of those 24 hours hours of downhill turbulence when she was in that horrible place of suddenly becoming very sick. Not a single memory, not a single flashback, if I can call them those, which they're not anymore. Not a single one of them makes me recoil. Any memory that we can't look at full front in the face, peace, with gratitude for the healing that he's done, with this sense of the turnaround that's been accomplished, any memory we can't look at like that is a memory that we still need to be healed. And I believe that the mandate God has given me is to bring truth and healing. To enable people to realize, oh my goodness, I'm not quite where I thought I was, but I know I can get there. Amen? You know, and um, I remember praying. You know, Pastor Donna, I sought God because I've seen so many instant healing miracles. I've, I remember seeing a man with a, with a and this was one of the most striking ones I saw, a huge birthmark, completely removed. I've seen a leg grow. Um, I, a man my husband prayed for had no kneecap, completely healed. I've seen so many instant physical miracles, but I've never seen an instant healing of the heart. 
And I went to God about that. That was another one I said, God, surely the heart's more important. So why do you do these things so instantly, so perfectly and completely? And I mean, sometimes we have to continue to believe God, for, but sometimes they're just so complete, so instant. What the Lord revealed to me touched my heart so much. You see where it says in Psalm 147 that he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. There's two words being used. One is the same one, the Rapha, Jehovah Rapha, the healer, the, the healing that is used about the physical body. Where it says he binds up the wounds, it speaks of the tenderness of God, tending to those places in us that hurt. And what God was showing me was this. You see, the most powerful way I know of getting healed is when we pour out our hearts like water before the face of the Lord. Well, you see, what does it mean to pour out your heart? If you meet someone and, you know, you, you've met someone for the first time, maybe you've sat up chatting all evening. Wow, I poured out my heart to them. We mean, wow, I met somebody that I could tell my most private secrets with, knowing that it's safe. So you see, to pour out our hearts, like it says in Lamentations chapter 2, when we pour out our hearts like water, we're telling God about the deepest pains and disappointments and difficulties of our lives. We're talking to him like we would our most intimate friend. You know, we're we're expressing the real truth of how we feel, not the grown-up version that we'd like to project most of the time. And in the process of of pouring out our intimacy with our daddy God, that we can't get any other way. Are you hearing me? There is an intimacy with God. And I have seen as people get more and more healed and as God restores those places where we thought, you know what, that's just something I'm going to have to live with. But when we open our hearts, we end up with this relationship with God that we can't get any other way. And, and what God was showing me is I wouldn't allow that to be an instant healing. It's a journey because while you journey with God, while you open up your heart and pour it out for him, you discover like never before just how much he really loves you. There's something that comes out of that very process that we just can't get any other way. And um, I just wanted to share for a few moments before I get into the main um, message that I have, just about the ministry that God has called me to and, and really why, why I seem to be in America like every other week. <laughs> you know, my children would go, oh, mommy, where are you going tomorrow? You're not going back to America. Is it this time again? You know, um, thank God they're a very happy family. But um, I, the, the books that I wrote... Um, more and more people were coming to me and talking about a depth of transformation that happened. And people, more and more started to come and say, you know, we, we need the conferences. We need the conferences. It started to stir something eight, nine years ago. And I really got into the presence of and, and And this is what I heard the Lord say to me. Because I heard him say, yes. 
I am going to release to you a confidence. But it won't feel like a confidence. It will feel like an encounter. And what he said to me is he said, you know, because the Bible says work out your own salvation. And God loves to partner with us so that he doesn't just dictate and we write. That there's this process where, where we're able to, to hear the heart of God and be involved in its, in its, in its development you know, in, in, in what he wants us to do. And, and this is what I heard God say. If you had just two days of someone's time and you might never, ever see them again, what would you include in a two-day program that had the best chance of getting those people completely free to fulfill their purpose? And... Over about two or three months, I prayed, and it felt like a, a, you know, two or three months of just downloading from heaven, and and just receiving from God things He wanted in what would then become healed for life. And so we launched this ministry in the UK several years ago, and um, you know we've just seen so many amazing transformations. God has been changing lives. We we have. Every Healed for Life, we have such a wide range of people. We always have pastors, then we'll have new believers. We've had non-Christians come because we all have a heart. And we all need God to do a work on the inside. And, um, and we've just have been seeing more and more just amazing life, lives being transformed. And then God started to speak to me and said, I want you to take this ministry to America. And from America, we will then take it to other nations of the world. I did remind him where I live. I did remind him I'm in English. And he seemed to ignore me in those moments. But so it's been a real joy. We launched Healed for Life here in the US a year ago in June 2016. We've had three now. We've been running them in Bradenton at Christian Retreat Center um, in Florida. And um, it's just been so awesome seeing what God has been doing here in America. Robert and Joycey are um, core team members. Robert is the head of development for Healed for Life here in the U.S. And Joycey looks over the, um, the administration. Here we have an anointed and an administrator. But they're both also anointed. And, um, and it's just been such a joy seeing what God is doing in this nation, you know. But God has given us a vision to see Healed for Life in six states in the U.S., basically with coverage of this nation. So please pray for us. Um, it is a big vision, a very big need. But when you see the testimonies and the transformation, it makes every single bit of it worth it. We, we, we pray for three months leading up to each Healed for Life event. We run... Um, at the moment, seven or eight a year, and, um, and, and everyone who comes from the moment they book, somebody is praying for them daily and fasting for them weekly. So by the time anyone gets there, there's been a huge amount of prayer and fasting invested. So it is, it is a real blessing, and you know, that is why God has given me such a love for this nation and such a desire to see transformation here. And you know, there's something that is so special about the American people. You know, I think sometimes we see our, our own flaws. But what I see when I come to this nation is, is your warmth and your welcome and your love. You know, 
Brits can learn so much from your warmth and your welcome. And um, it, so it's such a joy to, to really be here and to see what God is doing. So that, that's Healed for Life. That's my mandate. And um, really the purpose of Healed for Life, I always say the purpose isn't getting people healed. The purpose is people fulfilling their purpose. The purpose is releasing people to be the greatest example of what God intended them to be so that they can go on and fulfill their destiny. So we really thank God. The next one is in December, in the first and first and second of December in Bradenton. If any of you would like to come join us, we would love to have you with us. And um, I know that God would do some awesome things. Um, but I just have a word I want to share with you this evening. I believe that God has given me something really special for you this evening. And um, I just want to open... Um, reading from scripture, and then we're going to go on a bit of a journey. Wonderful. So I'm going to read a passage from Psalm chapter 8, and I am starting at verse 4, and I'm going to read verses 4 to 6, and these are really well-known verses. And it says, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. You know, this is an amazing few verses I love the fact that that starts saying, what is man that you are mindful of him? In other words, God thinks about you and me. Isn't that extraordinary? He, he's, he's mindful of the issues of our lives. He knows the things that we go through. He knows our struggles. He knows the kind of things that stir us, that move us that sadden us. He is mindful of us. And, you know, it goes on from there to say, you've made him a little lower than Elohim. And then it says, you have crowned him with glory and honor. You know, it's an amazing word, this word honor here. You've crowned him with glory and honor. I remember God speaking to me and saying, you know, Joe, I want you to study honor. And I was saying, God, that's not really a me kind of message. <laughs> you know, sometimes we shouldn't really debate with God because he does know best. But, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I was thinking that would be one more for my husband, not me. And, um, but I really felt impressed that God wanted me to study honor. And so I literally looked at every single reference to the word honor in the Bible. I did a Genesis to Revelation and really tried to understand what it was that God wanted me to understand. And it's really interesting, this word honor. It's a Hebrew word, hadar. And the word hadar basically means to make splendid, to beautify to dignify, to cover. 
And, you know, the more I read about honor in Scripture, the more I was getting an understanding of what it really is. You see, the Bible says that God's mindful of us. And this word hadar speaks of God beautifying us, adorning us, covering us, clothing us. In other words, God's saying, I see your humanity. Anyone else ever feel really very human? I see your frailty. I see how exposed you sometimes feel. And as a result, I am going to cover you. I'm going to clothe you with honor, not just any old honor, with my honor. And the amazing thing about it is it says in Psalm 104, you are clothed with honor, speaking of God. In other words, what God is saying is, I'm clothed with honor. That's what I wear. I wear honor. And so for my precious sons and daughter, I want to dress them in honor as well. Are you hearing me? You know, so it's because he sees our nakedness that he covers us. And you know, it's so interesting, that scripture we all know so well, honor your father and mother as the Lord has commanded you. Isn't it interesting? That one commandment is already a commandment because it's saying, honor your father and mother. And he says, as the Lord has commanded you. In other words, it's like God is really doubly making sure we get this point. Honor your father and mother as the Lord has commanded you that it may go well with you and you may have fullness of days. So what's that saying? You know, I believe that that scripture is, is there and the heart of God is that we would honor our parents, not because they're perfect. You know, not when they get it right. In fact, if they were perfect, they probably wouldn't need our honor. You know, the Bible is saying, honor your father and mother. Dignify them, cover them. Clothe them. You know, and that's the heart of God. And the heart of God for every parent in this place is that the behavior and the things that go on in our children's lives end up honoring us. But of course, it's not always like that. But that is the heart of God. He always seeks to cover, to honor. And and I really believe that the reason it says honor your father and mother is because it's really hard to be a parent. (laughs) Anyone else find it hard? You know, I really think that, you know, what, what I always say is, you know, give me 10,000 people to preach to rather than training 10 disciples. We're big into discipleship in our church as well, you know, training, seeing transformed lives of 10 people I'm mentoring. That's harder. But then multiply it again, parenting and getting it right, you know, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, year, etc. And I believe that's why that is there because parenting isn't easy. But I want to look at a story in Scripture. We're going on a journey. I want to look at a story in Scripture. And it's, it's at the time of Noah. And the, the point at which we're going to join him is this. You know, if you think God was looking for somebody through whom he could preserve the entire human race, yeah? He looked across. He saw all the problems with humanity, And he said, I've found myself a just and righteous man called Noah. 
And he took Noah, his, his, his wife, and, and, and the, the four um, daughters and sons-in-law, or sons and daughters-in-law, my memory escapes me which way around it was, um, three sons and daughters-in-law, that's what it was, and, and off they go in the boat, all eight of them, with a bunch of stinking animals, and I believe they had nine months that was really, really difficult. Anyone else agree with me? I want you to just picture what it was like for them. They're on a huge boat. Now, just being trapped, I mean, I absolutely love my family, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know where I'm going. (laughs) But the thought of being trapped with them for nine months, I believe that the entire time from, from entering into the boat to getting off was nine months. I mean, trapped with just those people, you and seven others, and they're the only, the only human faces you're going to look at for all that time. No windows open. Probably no light, because I doubt glass was invented back then. I don't know if any historians know that. You know, so just candle. I mean, no, no daylight, nine months, and just your family. Oh, my Lord. So he's had that. Not only this, but he's been sharing the ark with giraffes, and hippopotamuses, and elephants, and guess what they're all doing on a daily basis? They're not just eating to give you a hint. It's coming out the other end too. So this boat stinks. Yes, do you agree with me? So he's been nine months staring at his family with stinking animal stuff piling up And he wants to get off that boat. I think I would want to be off too. So he gets off the boat. He is absolutely fed up of being there. And the first thing this man does, and don't you try telling me he didn't know what he was doing. I am absolutely convinced he knew exactly what he was doing. But the first thing he did was plant a vineyard. And I'm going to read the story. So Genesis chapter 9 And I'm starting at verse 20. And it says, And Noah began to be a farmer and planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. You know, I I backslid when I went away to university. I got saved as as a teenager, radically on fire for God, loved the Lord with all my heart, but I was still carrying a lot of pain. And so when I went away to university, I did all the wrong things with all the wrong people in all the wrong places and got myself in even more of a mess than I already was. And during those times, I drank far, far, far too much. In fact, I, I believe it was only the mercy of God that I didn't end up becoming a, an alcoholic in, in those very young years in my life. But let me tell you one thing. I was never so drunk that I fell over. I was never so drunk that I didn't have a clue where I was or what I was doing. But here's Noah. Are you hearing me? Let me tell you one thing before I move on. 
If you're believing God for a prodigal to return, you keep believing. You know, if you are praying about somebody who is far from the purposes of God, I thank God for the people who didn't give up on me and prayed and prayed and prayed. God is able. Amen? You see, here's Noah. He's drunk so much that he doesn't even know who he is, and he's fallen over, and, and, and he's so drunk, he's literally kicked his clothes off in his own tent. Are you hearing me? You know, when the Bible says, honor your father and mother, you know, God's heart is that we are honored and covered even when we mess up. You see, Noah had been honored by God because the Bible says that he crowns and clothes us with his glory and honor. But Noah's own stupidity, his his own foolishness caused him to be unclothed, to be exposed, to, to dishonor himself. You know, and, and where that scripture says that Ham saw, you know, if you look at that in the Hebrew, he, it really means he looked, he deliberately looked at his father's nakedness. And then we have two others that have a different approach. I just want to borrow, where, where, is, um, where, is, where, is, where is she gone? Please, yes, I just want to borrow you. I just want to illustrate something. You see, if you just come and stand here, thank you. You see, God sees our humanity. He knows that we feel exposed and and that we feel vulnerable. And so he clothes us. He covers us with his glory. He wraps us up in his splendor so that we are no longer exposed. He crowns us with his glory. Are you hearing me? You know, it's amazing that passage in Psalm 8 where it says, just just after that, that verse, it says that he has put all things under our feet. Do you know the honest truth? You know, in the same way, have you ever, um, I don't know if you're anything like me, but when I see a police officer, is anyone here a police officer? Anyone here? No. Well, let me tell you the truth. Retired. Okay. Okay. Well, let me tell you. You see, police, oh my goodness. Police, sir, could I ask you to stand? Now, the truth is, you see, if I, if I saw this man... In the, in, in the corridor right now, I'm going to think, hi, May, good to meet you. You know, I'm going to shake his hand. Hi, Larry, how are you? All good. Because he's not wearing his uniform. Now, if this man re-entered the room wearing a police chief constable, sorry, I don't know the right language, important person uniform, let me tell you how I'd be reacting. Um, I, I, I just have this weird response when I see people in uniform. I'm, I'm kind of double-checking, is everything okay? And I am at attention. Are you hearing me? Thank you so much, sir. You see, it's the same way with God's honor. When we know that we are covered and clothed with his honor, we know our authority. We are able to 
use our authority because we know whose honor we are clothed with and covered with. You see, God covered Noah. He clothed him. And God does that for each one of us. But you see, sometimes things happen in life. Sometimes it's the things that other people do to us. You know, I talked about words briefly last night. It's amazing how words can be spoken that can make somebody feel cut to size in just one moment. And the words that come, and it's like, you know, one of the things that I find so sad is when, is when I see, you know, here I am, a wife, and when I see sometimes us women not even realizing how our words can, can undermine the very man that we're supposed to be honoring with our words. Why did you do that? How are you? You know, you think you're the head of this home. Why are you behaving like that? And with our very words, we're removing the very honor that God covered that person with. You know, sometimes like Noah, it's, it's, it's all right, Al. Sometimes like Noah, just wanting to serve. You know, sometimes like Noah, it's, it's not even something someone else did. It's not even the behavior of other people. It was his own sin, his own issues. And, and, and you know, he was in such a drunk stupor that he, now he can stupor around. Yes, wonderful. And he knocked it all off. And Ham walks in and he's going, look at dad. What a failure. What a, I don't know. But he's, he's glaring. He's looking on the weakness of his father. But I want you to hear the heart of God. Because you see, the heart of God, whenever we mess up, is restoration. He's always looking to reclothe, to restore, to get us back to that place. And you see those other two sons, they said, do you know what? We are not even going to look at, at what our father's done. Because you know what? He may have failed, but he's still our father. He may have failed, but it doesn't make him a failure. And they backed in and they said, we're going to cover this man because he may have messed up, but it doesn't make him a mess. And they expressed the heart of God to this man. You know, it's amazing in Scripture where the Bible says, husbands, love your wives and wives submit. Obviously, there's verses and it's not actually in that order in Ephesians. But it says, husbands, love your wives. You know, I really believe that when the Bible gives these instructions, it's because we have different needs as men and women. You know, my husband, he can, I can be all, you know, wound up, frustrated, and then just a few tender words from that man, and I'm just jelly. You know, the Bible says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Do you know, there's something about tenderness that can touch the heart of a woman in the most amazing way. You know, the Bible says husbands love your wives. You know, and, and, it, and the Bible also says husbands honor your wives as though they were the weaker vessel. It doesn't say that we are the weaker one. 
I'm sure in some ways we're weaker, and you know, when it comes to childbirth, I don't think many men would manage it, but... (laughs) (sighs) But it says husband's honor, and there is something about a man being kind and tender to his wife that is just so honoring. You know, there is a way that my husband can build me up like no other human being can. You know, but then the Bible says, wives submit. Do you know, I remember when God first started to speak to me about ministering to men. And, and the way it happened was this. I, I, I kept receiving words and getting a sense of things that, you know, for the men in our church, this is maybe six years ago. And I would say to my husband, oh, I've had this word for this man You know, I really sense this about this gentleman. And I would tell my husband each time, and he just got fed up of this. And he looked at me, and he said, will you minister to them? And I'm like, oh, no. You know, know, I'm a woman. He said, well, I've noticed, yes, but you're also a pastor. And the Bible says there's neither Greek nor Jew, male nor female. So get on with it. And I'm just, like, really freaked out by this. But, you know, I I do like to do what I'm told. But anyway, I'm, I'm just mulling it around for a while and you know, letting it sink in that my husband is actually telling me that I'm supposed to start, you know, ministering to men. And one time we were away and God spoke to me and he said, Joe, if you are going to start ministering to men, he said, you're going to have to learn how to treat them. And I was like, what's this? And really the Lord showed me that you can't treat men the way you treat women. Not that I ever treat women badly, But what he was showing me is this need for respect is a God-given thing. You see, headship is hard. I am so glad I'm not the head of my home. I'm so glad that the buck stops with him. Because even when I feel I've heard God and he says no, I I get off scot-free. Are you hearing me? You know, headship is hard. But you see, there's something about honoring a man that enables that man to be the man that God has called them to be. And I remember God saying to me, Joe, you can't speak to men. That, you know, I might say to a woman, Joycey, quickly, go get some books. And, and she knows I love her, and I would try and remember her, please. But if I was going to ask Robert, I'd say, Robert, have you got a moment? Would you mind? Respect. You see, so many times, even in marriage, the words a woman is speaking, she's saying things, you know, criticism. Why did you do it like that? Why are you doing that? Oh, I can't bear the way you do this. Judgment, criticism. And what we don't realize is that we're stripping. We're stripping that honor that God himself wrapped around that person. Thank you so much. You know, another example in the word is, is the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 5, speaking of adultery, it says, do not give your honor to another. You know, and, and I think one of the most painful things that somebody can go through, and, it, and it's not even just when it's a full-blown affair, it's any sense that anyone goes through a feeling that there's someone else in that marriage. And it can just cause this horrible sense of dishonor in the heart of that person. I mentioned words, you know, words spoken. 
Sometimes when, when we're growing up, there are words that are spoken that have just brought this crushing on the inside of us. And, and things are said. You know, that, that scripture that we so often reference in Matthew 13, 57, where Jesus himself has gone back to Nazareth. You remember the story? And, and he's ministering. And what do the people say? We know who you are. You're, you know, who do you, and, and really the, the essence behind it is, who do you think you are? What makes you think? We know your mum. We know where you grew up. What makes you think that you've got the right to say, and, and, and with their words, they were stripping Jesus. They, those words, you imagine, this is the king of kings. And they're speaking to him with such disrespect. You know, uh, and, and it's interesting because where that scripture says that a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. Do you know it's not two words? It's one word. It's one Greek word. Otimos. And do you know what it means? It means unhonored. In other words, it's not something where there's a halfway house. I'm either honoring you or I'm dishonoring you. And you know, many of you here, you're in ministry, you're in leadership. And I believe the reason the Bible says give double honor to leaders is because like parenting, it's really hard to do. And that honor somehow clothes us in such a way where we feel we can carry out the task. But when things have been said, you know, you, like we heard um, shared earlier, you know, you're the worst pastor I've had. And, you know, it was, it was a great story in the end. But just sometimes words can be spoken. You know, I, I remember someone once saying to me, I, I, I love Pastor Paul, but like we, we get to have to have you too. You know, and sometimes people just say things. They say things that undermine us. They say things that make us feel so small. They say things that somehow make us no longer feel that we have the stamp of approval necessary to do the job we're supposed to be doing. You know, one of the things that can cause such a sense of dishonor is betrayal. You know the awful thing about betrayal? I mean, we're almost promised it. <laughs> you know, what does the Bible say? What did Jesus say? Brother will betray brother. Father his son. Son is father. In other words, do you know what? We're going to be betrayed. But it's so dishonoring. And you know, so often in these areas, especially as leaders, people say stuff. We, we see a look. Maybe you once were in the restroom, ladies, and you, you heard something said because they didn't know that you were in that cubicle. Sometimes we, over, we overhear or we, we end up knowing about something that they thought we never knew about. You know, and this horrible feeling of dishonor. And we just feel stripped of every sense of qualification, if you like, that, 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 that we thought we might have had. You know, I remember um, it was about maybe seven years ago. Our church went through a really, really difficult time. And I, I think most pastors 
It's not long in ministry. There's a book my husband and I are going to write together. Um, I'm working on a different one now, but we're going to get to it. And it's called the ABC, Surviving the ABCs of Leadership. The Accusations, Betrayals, and Confusions. Can't be in leadership more than about five minutes without being accused, betrayed, and utterly confused. You know, but we, we, you know, here we were and this, this family that had been with us right from the beginning. You know, and, and that woman, it, it was this couple, they, they got married in our church. They, they joined when they were still single. They got married with us. That woman, I mean, she wouldn't say boo to a goose when I first met her. She was so timid. She was so afraid. She turned into this strong prayer warrior great leader. You know, God had used us to bring so much blessing and transformation into their lives. And then just what seemed to us at the time completely out of the blue, we went through just the most awful attack. And I remember the way it all began was this this man, this leader just called my husband and for 15 minutes shouted at him on the phone. And my husband's an extremely strong man, but I remember he, he got back and home and we, we went together and I saw him and, you know, seeing my husband literally kind of the blood drained out of his face and he, 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 was, he was just quivering. And, you know, one of the things that is so awful as, as, a, as a woman, as a man, is seeing our spouse get hurt, is seeing our children dishonored. You know, so often the pain we feel from what we see others go through is, is, is bad and sometimes worse than our own pain. And I remember he got home and, you know, talked about it. And I said, look, you know, and we, we worked out. We needed just to get together with the team and, and speak and have a meeting. And we, we organized this, this meeting. And I said, look, my love, please let me chair this meeting. I just couldn't bear to see him go through that all over again. And and this man, he stood over me and yelled at me and pointed and shouted. And I remember him saying to me, and you should not even be in ministry. Why is this church paying you? We're only paying you because you're married to him. And then pointing at one of our other associate pastors, he should be on staff. And I'm just sitting there. And it carried on and they got on the phones and Literally, in, in a period of about two, a month maybe, we'd lost about a third of our church. And I remember, you know, after we got the, sh- the, the, the ship steadied and things started to calm down, I remember one evening, my husband and I got some time away and he asked me, you know, he said to me, you know, my love, how are you? And I remember what I said. I said, I feel like I have been marched onto the platform of our church and stripped in front of the entire congregation. Dishonor. I also remember what my husband said to me. He said, Joe, I need you to be healed because there's some sheep that need your love. So he said, I'm going to give you two weeks I've always had a tough husband. He knows God knew exactly what I needed. So what did I do? 
I got into the presence of God. I poured out my heart like water. God, it hurt. Lord, why did they leave? What did we do wrong? God, I feel completely and utterly humiliated and ashamed. I poured out my heart like water before the face of the Lord. You see, when we go through these dishonoring experiences, God wants to heal our hearts. You see, we're called to love the church. You know, we're called to trust people. You know, just making a decision after stuff like that, it's what the enemy wants is he wants us to walk away with trust issues. Someone disappoints you, lets you down, betrays you, and, and, and even, this is another lie of the enemy where he tells us it's okay to have trust issues. But trust is the atmosphere of faith. And love believes the best. And so you see, I got into the presence of God. I got healed. God did that work on the inside. And then I was able to come out of that place of healing and bring restoration to the sheep. Are you hearing me? The enemy wants to hurt us by the very people we're called to lead so that we'll put a distance between us and them. But the Bible says that, you know, as a shepherd, we need to know the state of our flocks. Jesus was with his disciples. He was among the sheep. He was loving them, knowing them, and trusting. And, you know, this is, this is the way I do trust. I can trust anybody that God says I can trust. Why? Could they let me down? Absolutely. Could they break my heart? Absolutely. But I would just go to God and get healed again and then love again. Are you hearing me? You see, God wants to, he wants us to live this life where we're getting healed today for what happened yesterday, where we're not carrying those hurts and wounds and, you know, (laughs) slings and arrows of misfortune, as Shakespeare put it. You know, he wants us to know how to get refreshed. You know, one of the things I've discovered, most people wander around a little discouraged, a little down, a little disappointed, a little bit dry, thinking that's normal Christianity. Do you know what I am utterly convinced of? That it's the wears and tears, the hurts and disappointments of life that produce all that. Because I promise you, no lie, I go through stuff all the time. But I get healed all the time. And my normal way of living now is in this place of really, really genuine joy. And not because I'm just choosing joy, you know, that kind. But because there's just so much gratitude for so much pain taken away, for so much healing done on the inside. You see, God wants to do that work. He doesn't want us to carry these things around. You know, you know God, God's heart and God's desire is to bring restoration, to bring such a refreshing. You know, I want to tell one more story because, you see, it's not always the huge things that we really need to learn how to get healed of. It's really funny Um, But this is my second time in North Carolina. And um, when I first started coming to America, it was just two years ago, so I've only been coming now for, um, this is into my third year. But um, 
one of my books, 30 Day Detox for Your Soul, um, was picked up by a U.S. publisher, and they said, um, you know, we want to we wanna publish this across the States, but we're going to need you to come and do a series of book tours. And, of course, you know, what I thought in, in all my wonderful naivety was that they'd pay for my tickets and pay for this and that. No, 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 no. None of that. And um, so, but they helped set up um, some different opportunities. And one of the ones they set up was they said, we've got a really nice um, opportunity for you in North Carolina. And there's a conference, and there'll be about 300 people at the conference. And then you're going to do some TV work and, um, and a big book signing. And um, they're all very excited about having you. And I said, no, that sounds great. Now, there was a problem because North Carolina isn't on a train route. This particular, I don't even know. Do you know where we were? No. Okay. Even you don't know where we were. Okay. But, it, but, but you guys, you don't have public transport like we do in the UK. Isn't, isn't that right, Steve? You can get anywhere in the UK on public transport. So I'm saying, no, oh, that's fine. I'm not going to hire a car because I don't want to drive on the wrong side of the road. Um, I'm not going to hire a car. I'll get the train. And the publicist is talking to me on the phone going, well, I don't think you will get the train. <laughs> what do you mean I will get the train? I'm happy. No, you won't get the train. So anyway, I discover that this is like impossible to get to. And anyway, I um, was ministering that weekend. I'd just done a conference at a church in just north of Miami. And I was just chatting afterwards with the pastors and some of the guests there and just saying, well, I've had this invitation, but I don't know what to do because I don't want to drive on the wrong side of the road. And I'm certainly not comfortable after, a, you know, an international flight doing that. So anyway, Robert and Joycey, who, who, who I now are very close friends with, but they said, look, we'll, we'll fly from Miami to Atlanta. We will hire a car and we will drive you. Well, I was overwhelmed by their, their kindness and um, said, wow, that's amazing. Thank you. You know, real godsend. So I flew into Atlanta. We met in Atlanta and I hired the car and Robert drove and we went to this place and it was, you know, two hours. I, hired, you know, I, I, I booked two hotel rooms for them and myself and um, we get to the conference and there are 300 chairs. Anyone know the difference between a person and a chair? There are 300 chairs. This is no lie, no exaggeration. 300 chairs and seven people. Seven. Thankfully, they're all sitting together. <laughs> and just this empty space. So I have to minister that night to these seven people. Now, I made a covenant with God 20 years ago when God spoke to me. And I said, God, whether I'm ministering to 10,000 or one, I will give my best. So I gave my best I ministered from my heart, and I did the TV stuff they wanted to do, and to call it TV was beyond me, but anyway, <laughs> crackly sound. And I remember getting back to my hotel room that night. I felt so stupid. I was so embarrassed. I felt so, I felt lied to. 
But, but that wasn't the main thing. I just felt so ashamed. I was so embarrassed that Robert and Joycey had taken three days out of work, flown, driven me. I, I didn't know what I was going to do with all these books I'd brought in. I had no way of getting them out again. I didn't know how I was going to pay the bills. But most of all, I just felt so ashamed and embarrassed. So what did I do? I, I went into my hotel room. I shut the door and then I went into the bathroom. I felt like I needed somewhere really private. I shut that door and I got on my knees and I said, God, I feel so stupid. I'm so embarrassed. I feel so just terrible. And I cried. And I poured out my heart like water for about two or three minutes. Because the more healed you get, the quicker it is to get healed. And I got up and I was healed. And I felt restored. Joycey, let me borrow you. And, and so I had to go back the following morning. And now there was no longer seven people because two had left. There were five, including Robert and Joycey. But I was able to go back. And I was able to honor my host. Are you hearing me? The hurt flesh would want to belittle them. Even if we would constrain our lips, we'd want them to know. I didn't mention the cost of my tickets, my hotel. I was able, because my heart was healed, to honor this woman, to honor her husband. And to walk in love. You see, thank you. And you know the interesting thing about it? It was only recently I thought and I looked back at it. You know what? If I hadn't got my heart healed, I would have behaved really badly. With every reason. Who knows whether they would ever have really wanted to be part of the Healed for Life team. One of the guys there, one of the five who was there the Friday evening, he's another core member of my Healed for Life team now. Are you hearing me? But you see, I was saying he's another one of the five people who were there, other than these two, is now my leading musician who is sold out for Healed for Life and travels from Atlanta to Florida every time we run it. He drives because he's so committed to this ministry. What's my point? You see, when our hearts are healed, we, we, we can walk in love. When our hearts are healed, we can be kind to people who've just cut us to pieces. When our hearts are healed of the big things, when the church is nearly destroyed, but also when our hearts are healed of the small things, when we just feel so stupid. You see, let me tell you another little lie of the enemy. You see, he never wants us to admit things like, I feel completely humiliated. Because it feels horrible even to say it. Am I telling the truth? Even to admit the way I just got treated on the planet, nothing's happened. But, you know, something happens and you feel just humiliated by one of your co-workers. But it feels even hard to admit I just felt humiliated. Because humiliation is so horrible, we don't even want to admit that we feel it. And that's the plan of the enemy, that we don't admit how we really feel. That we just push it down, trample it down, and become a little bit hard towards people. 
You see, the more healed we get, the easier it is to be full of love. The easier it is, really. I, you know, one of our, our first value of healed for life, our values spell heal, H-E-A-L. And our first value, the DNA of healed for life, is humility. But let me tell you, you see, if I, the only way I can truly, truly humble myself and be a slave be a real servant. We don't use that word slave. The Bible commands four times in the New Testament for us to be slaves. Slaves to God, slaves to righteousness, slaves to Jesus, and slaves to others. But if I already feel like a slave, if I already feel like a skivvy, is that a US word, skivvy? Okay, if I already feel like a nobody, because my congregation have made me feel so bad, then if I actually do humble myself and serve them. It's just affirming my low view of myself. Are you hearing me? You see, the more we get healed, the more we can have a heart full of love, the more we can be kind to people, the more we can, do you know what? Get over ourselves and be about others. The more healed we can be, the less self-conscious we will be. The less we'll be saying, don't look at me, don't, you know, ooh. Because we'll be over self. Are you hearing me? You see, I really believe that what God is wanting to do in these two sessions that we've had is create a new, a new type of awareness on the inside, which is saying, do you know what? I'm not going to stop on this journey of healing until I reach the destination. You know, I'm not going to stop opening up my heart and saying, God, heal me until there's no memory in my life that makes me recoil. I'm not going to stop getting into the face of Jesus and getting healed until those little things don't hurt anymore. You know, and even in marriage, and then we're going to go into ministry. You know, you can't be married for more than five minutes without getting hurt. Am I telling the truth, married people? You know, and I'm called to be a helpmeet. You know, that's what the Bible says, that wives are helpmeets. You know? But you see, I'm married to the most amazing man on planet Earth. Sorry, guys. But he's not perfect. And so every now and then, he does something that hurts me. He'll be a bit abrupt or abrasive in a moment when I needed him to just be a bit sensitive. Or he'll misunderstand me in a way that really hurts. Because we want people to understand us. And you see, when we get hurt by the very person that we're living in close close proximity with, you know, we're either going to pretend we're not hurt, or we're going to hurt them back, or we're just going to withdraw a little. Are you hearing me? You know, so even in marriage, it is so important. You know, I, I don't get hurt very often by my husband because the more healed we get, the less we get hurt. It's amazing. But when I do get hurt, you know, and I can think of a couple of instances in the last, you know, six months, the first thing I do is I get into the presence of God and say, God, it's Paolo, that's what I call him. He's supposed to know me. What he just said really hurt me, God. Heal my heart. I feel really disappointed that he, that he would judge me like that or whatever it is. And I'll pour out my heart in the presence of the Lord. And then I'll come out my secret place. And I can get back to being a helpmeet. 
because I can't be a helpmeet to someone who's just hurt me. I'm going to be keeping my distance. But when I've got healed, I can honor this man again. I can celebrate him publicly. I can enjoy it when others celebrate him publicly. And I can honor the person that God's called me to honor. If I could have the, um, the, the team back again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I just want to invite you to stand. Thank you, Lord. I want you to remember, or I encourage you to remember, what I said at the beginning, that the very process of pouring out our hearts with real honesty and truth in the presence of God creates an intimacy with our daddy that I don't believe we can get any other way. The people we're closest to are the people we have shared the most with. And so the very process of making that decision where you say, I'm going to be real with you from this day forth, Daddy. I'm going to admit however hard it is to say how I really feel. I'm going to start doing that for the sake of my relationship with you. So right now, I just want to encourage you across this place just to close your eyes in the presence of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know what things have happened in your life that have created that sense of dishonor. I don't know whether it's the way that you were treated. I can see someone right now, and it was like a school, I don't know your language, but a school assembly where the whole school is brought together and something being done publicly in front of your classmates. And it created such a shame on the inside of you. For others, it may be words that have been spoken. Maybe by family, maybe by spouse. Maybe it's things that were done that just made you feel small. Maybe it has been things that you've gone through in the church context. But right now, I want to encourage you to do what we talked about from Lamentations 2. Pour out your heart like water. Just in this moment, as the worship team lead us in this song, I would encourage you not to sing it. Let them minister to us. But just open your mouth and start to talk to the Lord. And remember, speak to him as a child. When we go into the presence of God, we're not supposed to be adults or mature. We're his children. Wherever his sons, his daughters, you're ever his little girl, his little boy, as you enter his presence. So as they lead us now in this song, I just want to encourage you to start to talk to the Lord. Nothing in this world can compare to this awesome love that you've poured out for us. 
just talk to the Lord about those words, about those events. I want to encourage you just to really do business with God in these moments. The presence of the Lord is here to heal. You know, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 10, 11, it says, remove sorrow from your heart. Ecclesiastes 3, we know it so well, says there's a time for every purpose. And it says there's a time to break down, a time to weep. Why? Because there's also a time to heal. Right now in the presence of the Lord, I want to encourage you just to talk to the Lord. Speak to him in these moments. Kneel if you would. Some of you may want to come to the altar, wherever is best for you. I love to respond when God is ministering to me. I love to respond. I want to encourage you, if God has been really stirring you, just come to the altar and start to pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. If you'd rather kneel where you are, but do business with God in these moments because his presence is here to heal. Thank you, Jesus.
You know, the heart of God was so beautifully expressed by Noah's two sons. Those sons that covered his father's nakedness. You know, when we've been dishonored, we need to get our hearts healed. But we also need to know that God himself is reclothing us. I just want to ask everyone across this place if you just shut your eyes. And I just want to invite you just to lift up your hands as that sign of surrender. And I just want you to picture the Lord Jesus, that one who was dishonored, who was spat on, who was betrayed, who was hated. That one who went through all that, now in his glory, I want you to picture him walking towards you. And in one hand, he has a crown of glory. And over his other arm, he has a robe of honor. And he's walking towards you. And I just want you to see the Lord Jesus wrapping that robe of honor around your shoulders, covering you once again. And he's placing that crown again upon your head, that crown that he purchased Bible says we're kings and priests. He is reinstituting that sense of kingship, that royalty. The Lord Jesus himself is honoring you, clothing you because You're his son, his daughter, that royal generation. Thank you, Lord God. Father, we receive that reclothing of your honor. Father, I pray for each one of us that we would keep such a short account of our hurts and pains. I pray for each one here the Lord, you would take each one on a journey to greater and greater wholeness and restoration. Lord, that you would do what only you can do in each one of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. And just as as I finish, I just want to um, mention my books again. I remember one time, please do carry on playing. I love it so much. (laughs) It just refreshes me. I thank God for musicians. I think I appreciate musicians probably more than anything else. But, you know, I remember one time um, my husband challenged me because I I just ministered and he said, did you talk about your books? And I said, oh no. And he said this to me, 
Andy, he said this, like I said, my husband is very direct. He said, my love, either those books are from God to change lives, which is what I believe they are. And they are gifts of healing and transformation. He said, or else they're not, and we're going to burn all the boxes in the garage. And I said, okay, my love, I won't do that again. But I just today, in fact, received a testimony, which I'd just love to read very quickly, from somebody. That's my phone making that noise. I just received a testimony on my face on Facebook today. Someone saying, "Hello, um, hello, Joe. I have never been. I've never read a book like this that has had me praying and thinking and searching all day, every day. This detox truly is inspirational as well as life changing. Each chapter finds my Lord exposing things from the filing cabinets deep within my memories." It is very, very, very eye-opening. I've been tweeting at the end of each day of 30-day detox. There is um, there's a prayer. There's things to do that day. And then there's a tweet. And she said, I have been tweeting the daily tweet and posting it to my personal Facebook page. And I'm getting messages and phone calls from family and friends thanking me for the daily posts, telling me how just those posts are helping them through their struggles. She said, I'm looking forward to moving on to the second part of this detox for my soul and cleaning out. Thank you does not fully express my gratitude for this journey. And that is, um, that she's just done the first 10 days. The first 10 days are called offload. And it deals with, you know, like, what do we do with disappointment? You know, what do we do when words have been spoken? How do we get rid of those words? And so the first 10 days deals with the, the things, the hurts, really. The second 10 days is called clean out. And it deals with things like guilt. Oh, my goodness, guilt. How many people are carrying guilt? It deals with sexuality. It deals with distraction, with worrying what other people think. The third 10 days is called build up. And that's when God breathes new life into our dreams, gives us new strength. Um, that is available. Who would, I, I, I learned something today. Where is Mark? He's gone. But I learned something today. Who would like this as a gift from me? There you are. Um, this, the, the, the other books I've got with me, um, Lifting the Mask will take you on it. By the way, all my books have a health warning, which is don't read in public. Um, they're not written on. Everyone tells me they should be, but just otherwise people have burst into tears on the underground or on the... I mean, you don't use public transport as much as we do, but I've had people in the UK saying, you need to put the health warning on it. But it will take you on a healing journey, and God, in these pages, will show you hurts that you didn't know were hiding in the places of your heart. Dream stealers, how to stop your destiny being stolen, deals with what I call seven heart diseases. The things that try and prevent us from fulfilling our potential. And it includes things like defensiveness, insecurity, jealousy, the things that can, can really hold us back. And then my newest book, Doorway to Your Destiny, really is dealing more with the heart issues of character. Um, it deals with process and why we have to wait so long. It, it, it deals with um, things like self-pity. That's a really huge issue for most of us when we just feel it's not fair. 
Why is this happening to me? No one understands. All the different things that Joseph had to deal with in his heart that I would believe were instrumental in him being ready to be the leader God had called him to be. God bless you. Thank you so, so much. It has been such an honor to be with you these two days. And um, I will go back with a lot more love in my heart than I even came with. So thank you so much. God bless you.